Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of the End of Sport podcast. My name is Nathan Coleman Lamb, and I am joined today by my friend Derek Silva. Hey, Derek. Hey, how are you, Nathan? Well, I'm I'm especially great because today we are going to be uh, digging into maybe our favorite of all subjects, which is to say uh, the sports media complex and all that is wrong with it. You don't say. Yeah, this is, this is kind of our thing. Um, and we are incredibly fortunate to have um, a guest today who is sort of one of the foremost public critics of media discourse generally, not not just sports. He happens to be a big sports fan, I think, and, and sort of a someone who, with an eye to the world of sport, um, but someone who is a, a critic of the mainstream media in general. So it's a great honor and pleasure for us to welcome Adam Johnson to the show of the Citations Needed podcast. Um, so I think we're not going to spend too much time with the uh, preamble today because we want to get right to all the ranting. Um, but please let me uh, invite you, as usual, if you wouldn't mind following the show on Twitter at End of Sport Pod. Um, if you have it in you, if you have the means, uh, any contributions you can make to the show's Patreon, um, that is much appreciated. Those just go to covering costs associated with the show. Um, if you would not mind rating and reviewing the show um, on Apple Podcasts and whatever other podcast platform, that too would be very much appreciated. Uh, we got to always dilute our friends from Indinia, um, as, as I now refer to it, <laughs> uh, the great state of Indinia. Uh, so with that said, uh, here we go to Adam Johnson and the sports media complex. Adam Johnson is co-host of the essential Citations Needed podcast, and frankly, one of our most important public critics of media discourse. He is also author of a brand new Substack everyone needs to check out called The Column. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to, to be here. Yeah, we're, we're excited to get ranting with you about the, the sports media <laughs> complex. Um, so I, I want to ask you a big question, kind of frame it, because yes. your work focuses on the many ways in which mainstream media, you know, actively advance the interests of the military industrial complex in the U.S. and capitalist institutions more broadly. But, uh, you know, you're also a sports enthusiast, sports fan, someone who pays attention to sport. Um, so... You know, I'm curious, what is your read on the sports media within the broader landscape of U.S. media and commodity spectacle? Do you see it as, a, as sort of unique in any particular ways or just representative of broader trends and capitalist ap apologia? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, 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 you know, these are huge industries that are intertwined with the media outlets that cover them. There's not a ton of independence. There used to be some kind of firewall, but we now know, especially with, with, you know things like ESPN that that firewall basically doesn't really exist anymore. Um, they're huge. Uh, you know the the most. I mean, there's that there's that famous MLK line about how the most segregated hour in uh, in America is is Sunday morning um, during church. And I think in some ways the most integrated hour, for for better or for worse, is Friday night. Uh, uh, in a in, during the football season. Um. Is sports sports are a place where we have a sort of common uh, uh, gathering that that does cross racial and class lines. Um, I'm not romantic about that because I know that comes with its own problems. But it is it is a place where politics 
will necessarily enter the equation because it is a sort of collective civic, civic, uh, civic religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, especially uh, football <laughs> um, in this country is itself a civic religion. And, um, and I think that necessarily lends itself to, to political and ideological content, which is one of the things we discuss on our show. Um, things like militarism, um, obviously, <clears throat> um, ever since 2016, uh, when Colin Kaepernick sort of began the protest, that has, has, has kind of uh, evolved into a, a series of protests and boycotts and counter-protests and counter-boycotts, and it's become a forum for politics. Now, of course, that politics has been very much commoditized and, and, and sloganized and reduced to, um, much like the NBA did, has, has been reduced to kind of facile charityism. Um, and, and I, and I think that there's such an, it's, it's one of these great political forums to where if you're overtly political for so many people, well, I mean, so many, I think it's fair to say white people, probably more so, although I don't want to generalize it's viewed as being, um, sacrilegious. Like this is, we don't want politics in our sports. I, I, I turn on sports to get away from politics, but of course, you know, as you guys know, I'm sure it's your whole, your whole shtick. That's impossible. Um, the mm-hmm. whole thing is inherently political, and the and and what makes analyzing the politics of sports to me so interesting is that it's always nine months pregnant with politics, but never quite gives birth in many ways. Right? It's it's always the subtext is just always sort of uh, always under the uh, surface, ready to come out. Um, every little thing is politicized, especially since you have such a large segment of sports. Um, you, that you, that is that is very unique in that it uses free, almost, uh, disproportionately black labor, um, which is which is does not exist in any other really any kind of widespread section of our economy, and so how do you sort of sustain that that cash cow that racialized uh, free uh, free labor market um, with, with without politics without a political and ideological regime to uphold it uh, that has its that has its antecedents and and in Jim Crow. Um, and you just, it's such an American thing. When you try to explain these things to other people outside of the United States, they look at you like you're, like you're batshit. Um, you know what I mean? And so like, it's, it's, it's interesting to dissect. And I know this is what y'all do. And I know others do this as well. And and we're certainly not the only ones that do, but it's such an interesting thing to dissect from a political lens because, um, it's largely viewed as apolitical. Um, and I know this isn't, again, this is not a huge revelation. I'm not some guy in the dorm room who's blowing people's minds, but, but that's one of the things we find interesting, which is why we've done four or five episodes, uh, maybe three or four episodes on sports. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned, I have to say, I want to go back to, you mentioned the NBA, right? And this sort of, I I feel as you you were talking about the kind of the way in which, um, sport is pregnant with political possibility, but then never quite, um, realizing it. And like that NBA example is so apt for that last summer, right? Like last summer being um, not 2021, but 2020, um, when we literally had strikes, right? And we had a strike yeah. in the NBA. I mean, a strike that was called a boycott they because people don't really understand, don't understand yeah. everything about labor actions. You don't, you don't boycott your own labor. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's not, it's not exactly. what boycotts are. <laughs> um, so we had a strike and... And then it was diffused immediately, right? Like, what could be more pregnant than that? You're literally withdrawing your labor mm-hmm. in a moment of, like, a, you know, racial crisis uh, amid violence, amid a pandemic. And then 
it was just diffused so quickly, right? Like just, it go, as you say, it goes into this sort of charity form. Um, Obama is involved. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, like, it's nothing. And, and in, the, in, in, in the intervening period since then, you know, we've had yeah. a little over a year since that happened. We've been, we've been further away, really, than ever yeah. from the return to that. I mean, you know, that's the, um, that's, that's how these things work. I mean, that whole episode with Kenosha and uh, Milwaukee and other players following suit um, the, with, the up, with the post-George Floyd uprisings uh, was pretty much a kind of, I mean, if I taught a, a class on neoliberal co-option, that would be, that would be my object lesson. It, it yeah, starts yeah. off as boycotting because Black Lives Matter and we need to defund the police. Mm-hmm. That merges into Black Lives Matter, but in a sort of generic way that doesn't mean much and isn't really, you know, because one of the reasons that the, the focus moved away from, from the grassroots activists moved away from Black Lives Matter to a specific defund the police is because defund the police is an actual specific demand that's subversive, that people in power and wealthy team owners and rich people and real estate investors and politicians don't want. Nobody, nobody in power wants to defund the police because that's who protects capital. Uh, but Black Lives Matter, you know, again, originally it sort of, had, I think, had subversive content, but then became, became so sterilized over time due to semantics and, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, diluting and co-option that then it moved from Black Lives Matter, then it moved to, God, some of these really silly ones they would have, like on the court, like um, equality for all. What's the one they have in the Minnesota Twins in the, in the outfield? It's like fight, you know, end racism they have on the field end, in, end in, end Tampa, in, in Tampa yes. Bay, end racism. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Who's, who's the racist? Who's the agent here? And then by the time you get, you know, by the time you're done with it, it's, it, it's um, on the back of people's jerseys, you have, you know, education reform. I mean, this is... That's right. A right-wing policy goal um, yeah. that, again, is so generic, you can kind of project your own politics onto it. But, um, you know, the players not wanting to play last summer was, was genuinely subversive because you, you realized, and this is something that... Um, has always frightened team owners who all of all all but two of whom are are white and 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 you know they're all republican you know 90 year old whatever especially in the nfl is that you you realize very quickly this this is this is where the kind of um intersection of race and and and, and class politics are so profound is you realize very quickly because they, they feed off each other right the, the the exploitation of black labor is fundamentally predicated on racism but at the same time the exploitation of labor is an incident of itself because it's how you justify um you know again the ncaa and such so you you had this moment when you realized that they they boycott their labor uh and steven soderbergh did a movie basically arguing this as well that like you realize these owners especially in the nba are completely superfluous they don't act they're they're parasites they don't actually provide anything what the owners do you could easily just replace with some marketing major and an accountant and have the and have the players run the team. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And yep. this show that they that all the power, especially in the NBA, because they don't have a highly liquid scab league like the like Major League Baseball has. They don't have um, non guaranteed contracts yeah. and, a, and, a, and, a, and big rosters like the NFL has, where, where there, there's there's a finite amount of labor. And the players know this. They've known this for some time, uh, some time to some extent, right? They know they have a lot of leverage. Um, they're politically, uh, you know, very, very aware. Um, they know this, and and the and the most the thing they don't want is a rich black man who is politically conscious and aware and not going to be handled. And so then you move into panic mode because you're not allowed to sort of disrupt the gravy train, right? Um, and and so then you call in the the professional, um, the, the kind of neoliberal handlers, like you know, Obama calls Dwayne Wade, 
you say like, oh, we can do more if you actually play, which is the biggest lie they always tell you when you go on strike. You can actually change it from the inside. And then they sort of convince them and then they come back and they're like, okay, as a concession, we're going to donate to these bullshit charities. Um, And again, I think a lot of these players, (laughs) you know, NBA players, they're kind of like actors in that they have money and power and their politics are good because they're not filtered for 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 necessarily filtered for ideology like someone who's rich from say being an investment banker is right you you're 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 kind of rich incidentally because you're good at this really obscure thing that other people aren't good at and so you you can kind of become rich and not have shitty politics and uh that's that's very scary to a lot of people um and so this 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 they have some leverage they they realize you know what i'm gonna have solidarity with people in kenosha and 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 minneapolis and i'm gonna not play until x y and z is done which is as history has shown us is the only way anything happens we know this we know this from the um the the colorado football team uh uh, 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 several years ago when they went on boycott i mean if if you want a university to address racism like like fucking that your football team goes on strike because if your football yeah, yeah. team goes on strike, the boosters and, and, and donors and the, and the entire like, social universe of the fucking university collapses, you can pretty much get them to agree to whatever you want. Yeah, um, Mizzou got their president fired. Or, sorry, it wasn't, Mizzou, it wasn't Colorado, it was Mizzou. Yeah, Mizzou I was, yeah. Forgive me. I got, their colors are similar. I got mixed up in my head. <laughs> That's very true. Um, <laughs> and uh, forgive me. Yeah, it was, it was Mizzou got their president fired, right. And yeah. so like, that was not okay. So the sort of the, 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 the nonprofit-y, NGO-ish... Um, industrial complex goes into motion and then it says okay we're gonna we're gonna actually you can actually fix it better by playing which is what and then espn does this line right because espn more than anything doesn't want you to cancel nba playoff games and so they have every one of their they they all read off the same script you know it was we needed to come back and play we need they did this by the way during when they were trying to rush back sports after during covid and they still do oh, this yeah. like yeah. you know they, they they there's this they have all all their little pundits who are ostensibly neutral all read the same script which is oh the players you know they made their point it's time to get back to play basketball they can make their they can make their point more on the court with what a fucking slogan the denial of essential workers they're essential workers they need to be back on the court they're essential workers right there's nothing more subversive than the denial of labor especially highly racialized labor from a largely you know that that profits largely white people and white institutions who take it for granted that you're gonna that you know we'll we'll give you a few more million dollars but ultimately you need to shut up and play and and that episode was very um uh, illustrative of how um of how not only the sort of right wing, of course, works against uh, to, 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 to prop up this racialized labor regime, but so does the kind of glossy liberal reformism, because ultimately what was accomplished, uh, what, was, what, what was made aware, I mean, again, awareness has become its own kind of ideology, whatever that means, um, nothing. Yeah, the, you know, when they, when the, they really, there was no concrete concessions that were made. It just, it all got funneled back into these facile charities, yeah. uh, which, again, a lot of them are education charities, which is this one of, one of these kind of great uh, neoliberal myths that the problem, the reason why black people are, are being gunned down by police and, and, and are stuck in a cycle of poverty imposed upon them by, by, by white capitalism is, not, is, is because of a lack of education, which is absolutely mm-hmm. not true. The problem is a lack of resources. The problem is a lack of political power. And, and that's what the NBA wants. They want everything to kind of get funneled into this nice little... And then the right gets mad. It's like, oh, the NBA got woke. It's like, no, man, the NBA is, yeah. is ultimately wants to achieve the same ends you do, which is to maintain the status quo. They just, they are, they're far more sophisticated about how to go about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the whole liberal reformist model, I think it's it's premised on a fundamental misunderstanding of what and who laborers are, right? Like they approach, uh, if you make a million dollars, you are no longer a laborer. You are no longer part of a working class. Um, and that I think is is uh part of the fuel for for why they have such shitty takes like conservative takes and right-wing takes they simply just don't care about these people but liberals um and the sort of liberal reformist logic is like these people aren't laborers we shouldn't care about chris paul like chris paul it makes so much more money than we do and that justifies that's how they do it but what they don't understand is that chris paul is making some faceless fucking red faced (laughs) white republican guy you've never heard of he's making him 10x what he's making by definition right You you couldn't even begin to calculate how much yeah. money LeBron James has made a bunch of faceless, red-faced, yes. golf, fucking Trump, yeah. Mar-a-Lago fucking white yep. people money. I mean, it is incalculable. It is in the billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. made a fraction of the money he's generated by definition because he's still yeah. a worker. Even though, of course, yeah, yeah. many of them go on to own things, reality shows, and they become themselves part of the petty bourgeois. But, but the fundamental yeah. basic premise is, 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 is the same, which is, again, you have a parasitic owner class who provides nothing other than the initial capital, which they only have largely because of institutional racism. Otherwise, they wouldn't have the institutional capital. I mean, you got fucking George Hallis's 98-year-old, 99-year-old daughter at the fucking Bears game uh, a couple nights ago in Los Angeles. Her father bought the team in 1920 for $100. And she owns it. And she's now a billionaire because of it. There was no way that... Anyone else was going to be able to have that kind of arrangement. I mean, this, and this, this is basically what owners do. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that, that's exactly it. Like these owners are literally, as all owners and capitalists, they're bringing nothing to the table. We have, we have this myth, right, that yeah. they're bringing some yeah. kind of they're, – they're, they're furnishing risk. Um, they're taking mm-hmm. on a risk. Um, and, and you point – I just want to highlight well, for risk. listeners a couple the of things. The least risky <laughs> investment in the world. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> you, get all this free you, shit from, you get all this free shit from the city. You have no competition. You have a, you have yeah. a, st- a state-sanctioned monopoly, state-sanctioned free labor uh, development league in college fucking risk there's no risk L- to owning a listen, team when it comes to sports listen when it comes to sports the free market need not apply like it, it's oh yeah <laughs> when is it what, what maybe like once or twice a team has ever lost money but then they end up making money anyway exactly yeah. so you yeah. said the soderbergh film you were talking about that's high flying for people who are listening that's high flying bird highly yes. recommend that film because it's that yeah. it dramatizes all of these themes in a really effective way yeah it's um, a that, it's good it's got good politics it's got good politics. The other thing is we also talked about it on this show. I don't remember the episode, but I'll put it in the show notes. That's right. We did with with Samantha Shepard. That's exactly right. We had a good conversation with her about that, and then also Hoop Dreams. But um, the NBA, the last NBA lockout was like I don't know, ten years ago or so now, right? We saw an example of exactly what you were talking about, Adam. The fact that the owners they don't like you could the have as you twenty said, years ago. No, we had a we had a more recent one. Uh, oh, the one that actually like canceled games though was in '99. I know this because they the, shortened no, they the shortened Spurs the season. One. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The Spurs one. No, but the last one they they, they shortened the season. They didn't cancel games, but like they shortened. Oh, like you're right. You're season. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. And the reason I'm pointing to that because in that one, um, the players went on a barnstorming tour during the lockout. Like they literally were just playing in high school stadiums, or yeah. high school gyms, yeah. stuff like that. You know, and they were getting like. Thousands of fans were coming out for casual pickup games. So essentially, they were pickup games, right? But thousands yeah. of fans were coming because these players are providing all that's the value. Who you're, so that's just, who you're paying for. That's exactly it. I'm all taking the value my comes kid from to, the players. I'm taking my kid to go see Luca, not see Mark Cuban. My kid doesn't care mm-hmm. who Mark Cuban is. Yeah. 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 
Yep, that's exactly it. Um, and so it's just like, I mean, you just have, we have the evidence in front of us. And, and interesting, I th- and I like to come back to this. Kevin Durant himself said he, Kevin Durant had already played in the NBA Finals at that point. And he said the experience he had playing in these, you know, glorified pickup games in front of fans who were like all right around ringing the court and so forth during that period of time, he called it the best experience of his career um at that point because like we what we also had as a consequence of that was that we broke down that kind of the kind of um the distance and the sort of abstraction that occurs between the athlete and the fan right this sort of thing that undercuts solidarity all the time because we have this like way in which fans vicariously um, invest themselves in players but the players you know are almost abstractions to them right they're just like these avatars yeah the 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 perfect propaganda example of this if y'all have ever done an episode have y'all done an episode on the um God, we, I want to do one. Have you done an episode on the on the on the uh, eight, on the uh, NFL strike of of nineteen eighty seven? No, we haven't. Okay, so we like should. that, there's a gold mine there of clips. You go back yeah. and you look at it, and the way like the polling, they did polling on it, and the owners did such a good job. I mean, such a brilliant job, and they did this for decades. It's, not, it's, it's very recent that we've kind of seen more of this being subverted. They they convinced the public that the reason their ticket prices were high was because uppity. Read black athletes wanted higher salaries and you know health care and the polls show that the overwhelming majority of people supported the the owners and they've been doing this for years every single time they raise ticket prices every time they extort cities for for billion dollar stadiums they always say i have to do it because the players ask for too much money and that is obviously fundamentally based on That is fundamentally not how it works. They're going to charge what they can charge regardless of what they play players. The reason why player salaries have gone up is because owners' profits have gone up in, in, in proportion, if not way more so, right? And the, that, 80, that strike in the 80s was sort of a, 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 a picture, a snapshot of how much the, the racialized nature of black labor in sports um, subverts people people's your sort of average even like white working class person's perception of who the author of their suffering is they go to a game they get gouged for a fucking eight dollar hot dog a fifteen dollar beer you know an eighty dollar ticket they got a fucking pillar in front of them they can't see anything it's sweaty it sucks they got forty dollars for parking they just get fucking sponged and so many people leave that stadium or that ballpark and they think god damn it that's because of that's because of kevin durant or that's because uh, yeah. we, you know, we had to pay, uh, you know, too much money to Mookie bets or whatever, right? That, that, yeah. that is the fucking problem. And that's, a, that's been a problem of, of the left and labor to sort of make the argument that like, look, these guys are, yes, a lot of them are millionaires, but we can get into why yeah. that's problematic because a lot of football players, they'll make a million dollars a year, but they work for three years. You annualize that over the rest yeah. of their life. It comes out to 70 K. Um, yeah. so even that's kind of hard for people to internalize. Right. And they've done such a good job using local media which is basically just a fucking press release for the owners and, and, and using ESPN, which is, again, in bed with the owners, not the players' union, to constantly propaganda, to propagandize the average person to think that this is, that, 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 that this is just a bunch of spoiled, rich, uh, uh, ungrateful black athletes who, 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 who you know, um, don't care about what you and your son want. And this is the J.J. Watt rant that went viral. And it's why it went viral, because it reinforced this, this perception, because J.J. Watt's a fucking scab hack of the worst kind. And, um, and that's something that, you know, I think the left needs to engage with and explain to people why, because it, 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 again, it's, it seems weird to sort of put energy into like defending millionaires or whatever, but it's actually a really, there's a reason why this particular subset of quote unquote millionaires is uniquely vilified and told to fuck up, fuck off and go away and not try to make money and demonize for trying to make money 
And it's because mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the few black avenues of wealth creation, right? Um, yeah, and, and, and the whole thing, the whole thing is predicated on a fundamental misunderstanding of how labor works and how labor relations work. And so, yeah. you know, I, the, the way the, the way the owners managed to convince people that, that, that they not only need to pay for their stadiums, but when mm-hmm. they get gouged at games, it's not the person setting the ticket prices. It's this sort of, you know, downstream labor of, of the players themselves is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And the, we couldn't agree with you more. And like the whole rhetoric around like ownership that is pervasive in sport as if fans somehow own the the team and therefore own the the labor or they're entitled the entitlement to that labor it all plays along this this same line where like you you don't own anything that kevin durant does or chris paul does you don't own any of that asia wilson none of that is your labor nor are you entitled to that particularly in something like a pandemic. And I think that was like a big, yeah. uh, one of our big critiques of like return to play. It's like, we are using sport as this touchstone for like normalcy. Yeah. Um, and Which we is feel what it entitled. Is. We feel entitled to that. Like we hate lockdowns. So we want to turn on something because we're bored uh-huh. and we don't care about the the context why the or or the health risks that these people are putting their bodies their minds on the line for for our own i mean trump was you know trump was literally you know in talks with owners saying they had a mutual they had a mutual interest in opening up stadiums i mean jerry jones before anyone else said i'm gonna open up cowboy stadium because because he needed to run for president in november and most of the owners in the nfl are pro trump um and they wanted to have that was the narrative the nfl was going to be the barometer of normalcy, and this was going to be Trump's rah-rah comeback tour. And by the way, Biden is doing a lot of similar things. I mean, the, yeah. they, they've basically said, and every governor, liberal, you know, Democrat or Republican has said, yeah, like sports is, is, is a barometer of normalcy. You know, I, I think there are legitimate, you know, conversations about balancing public health versus the, the social and psychological mm-hmm. value sports brings to people. Like, I don't think it's frivolous. I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an important part of social bonding for a lot of people, for better or for worse. Um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm sympathetic to, to like why you would need to have some semblance of that. Um, whether or not you need 80,000 right. people packed into a stadium, probably not, but yeah, I, that's I, the I, question. I, I gotta, think some, pay... go ahead. Sorry. No, I was gonna say we, we got to pay I mean, you're, cause you're raising a really important qu- a point, which is like for, for too many, even on like a, on the left, there is this dismissal of sport, right? as you put it as a frivolous thing, right? Like which yeah. doesn't br- bring people meaning. And, and I think we certainly don't want to take that approach, but at the same time, and th- this is what I think gets lost too often in some of this sort of, especially left discourse, who are we holding responsible in these moments? Like when we see these stadiums filled with yeah. fans, right? It's the governors. Fans. Exactly. And the, the governors and the universities, if we're talking about and college sports, yeah. right? Like they are trying to drive the revenue stream up and they don't damned the cost, right? The human cost is what I mean by that. Yeah. Like, look, I mean, I, I think outdoor events at half full are probably, I mean, from what I understand based on the science, especially if everyone's vaccinated, like that's probably fine. Um, you know, I, I think, I think, that's why some of the outrage over the over the Virginia um, viral video. Although I do, I think that viral video was specifically made to trigger the libs. I'm I'm almost certain I it saw, was. I thought yeah, I, I, I think it was that out. That's a good um, observation. That like I was like I was like baseball has been filling up thirty thousand, forty thousand full stadiums for every day, sixteen times, fifteen times a day for the last two months, and like no yeah. three months, no one cared. Um, so I you know I I think they probably they should. I don't think we should be doing full capacity, but like. 
I mean, again, football is such an essential fabric to this country's sense of socialization and place in high school and college football. Again, uh, without making any kind of normative statement either way, I'm not saying that's necessarily good, but it absolutely is. And so you can't just say, like, let's just cancel all sports. It's not, it's not a, there's entire economies built around it. There's entire mm-hmm. social mm-hmm. ecosystems built around it. It's not a small thing to just cancel it. Um, and I think the issue is, like, how do you do it safely? How do you do it in a way that isn't just, isn't anti-worker? Because you know, the fundamental problem is that these people are risking, which is, which is true even before COVID, they're risking their lives without any compensation. Not yeah. so much that we're having it at all. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah. some of the conversation about, around, around that is like, you know, you, you, I, I, it is such a, it's so fundamental to the, to the fabric of so many people's social world that I don't yeah. know if people quite appreciate that. Like, you, you can't just, you, you can't just, I mean, we ended that and it, it really threw people off. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there is a clear, I think there is a clear difference between the professional and the college aspect. Like yes. you, you pointed out the major league baseball thing, like at, at least in a situation where, you know, um, we have athletes who are being paid, uh, stadium workers are being paid much less than they should be paid. Um, you even, I mean, the fans are a slightly different context, even than in, in in the college environment where we have this weird distorted thing happening where these campuses are open, these college campuses are open because, and this goes back to the political dimension as well, because of the underfunding of public education in the United States, right? The fact that there's no longer subsidies for public education in the, at the university level, that means that all of the uh, revenue coming into the universities is coming through tuition, which yeah. means the tuition fees have gone massively skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. And how do they justify that? Yeah. They justify it based on the campus experience. And what is yeah. the most important part of the campus experience? It's the sports piece, right? Oh, so yeah. No, you, you're, not, yeah. you're not canceling that. You, you, that's what you're that's paying right. for, basically. Exactly. So, but, but what's happening is that therefore these universities are creating this really toxic situation where even that the students themselves, the fans, I mean, not just the athletes, are, are being enticed into these quite dangerous environments. And the university is doing it because they want that tuition revenue. Um, and then what also happens is that if anything goes wrong, they blame the students, right? We come back yep. to the personal yeah. responsibility. Those institutional, those institutional incentives are... are you tell people it's fine, go out, go to a game. I mean, exactly. to me, the real issue is going to be basketball because basketball is indoors. And if there's yes, one thing yeah. we know about COVID, it's that indoors is not good. Like, oh, yeah. there's no justification for having indoor seating. And ever since last year, they're just fucking doing it. They don't give a shit. I mean, I, I don't still, see the, any you health. You still have the same bottleneck, too. You still have, like, so outdoors, I, I'm with you. Like, I think you can do that a little bit reasonably safe. Yeah. But you still have the bottlenecks. Like, to me, the issue, and you pointed out with saying 50% capacity is good. Like, the capacity limits is still good outdoor because it's not yeah. about just, like, you're in the stands sitting. Yeah. It's you're, you're going to the to the washroom. You're getting a beer or or food or whatever. <laughs> you're walking into the stadium. Yeah, All for sure. things are, like, That becomes a problem. Food. Yeah, because another thing, too, is that, like, like there's the question of opportunity cost where you say like, okay, let's yeah. say we just, if, if the governors are keeping bars and restaurants open and then we cancel indoor seating, are people then just going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings indoor? Is that necessarily any yeah. better? Yeah, <laughs> so I, I, I mean, the issue is from the top down, the governors aren't, aren't, aren't closing things because I mean, in some ways they would argue that they really can't because yeah. you can't just shut down the economy indefinitely. Um, now the problem, the fundamental problem is, is that they don't, they don't want to spend, they don't want to do any more debt spending. They don't want to pay people to stay home. They don't want to do an actual lockdown. So they do these really half-assed lockdowns, which are actually kind of worse than no lockdown at all in some ways, because 
you have this a lot of the you know there's not enough government support to do a real lockdown so they're and that's off the table for a lot of mayors and governors because the federal government won't spend the money anymore um so they're just saying let's just we're all going to be you know we're, we're they're all greg abbott now I mean, everyone's Greg Abbott. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's fuck right. it. Let's act like this. this doesn't exist. And then when we see people gathering, yeah. we, we, we scold the individual, even though, of course, yeah. they're told it's fine to do it. Although they probably, exactly. they probably between you and me, they probably shouldn't. You probably shouldn't. No, that's, <laughs> you probably shouldn't jam pack eighty thousand people into a football stadium. Probably not a good idea. They, they shouldn't. And the thing is that they're, they're so like they, they chase the money when there are these mitigation measures that they could be using. So like yeah. the NCAA tournament last year is a perfect example of this. Yeah. People died in Indianapolis because they, I mean, we didn't hear much about it, but people died in Indianapolis. And you know, you made this example. People died because they went to steakhouses in Indianapolis. If they had, um, if they had kind of had a more complete sort of lockdown type dynamic in that case, like they're still going to get their spectacle, right? Whereas they're going to get the TV revenue, which they want, but it doesn't have to be people congregating. That's part, what part of it. But here's the other thing. They could have waited one month and every single person at the NCAA tournament could have been vaccinated. They could have made that choice. That's all it would have taken. We That's knew true. at that, that was, time, yeah, around the time, a one-month yeah. delay. But they said, "Screw it, screw it." Right? And well, then it's not April Madness, buddy. You got branding to think about. <laughs> no, you, no you're, you, could, you couldn't be more right about that. And it's like, got to be alliterative. It doesn't have... work. That's you, right. you could wait till May. <laughs> that could work. <laughs> and May would have been perfect, actually. May Madness would have been ideal. <laughs> and we also we had a student. There's a student at Texas A&M University who has died right since the season started and Texas A&M had a massive crowd. Texas A&M does not have a vaccine mandate. No. Texas A&M does not have a mask no, it's, it's mandate. It's MAGA country, buddy. That's it. They have blood yeah. on their hands now as well yeah. because of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, to change change to pivot I guess just a little bit here. Um and I I don't think it's too far away from what we've been talking about because we've been talking about the ways in which we sort of discursively um justify uh, harms, harm and exploitation. And I think one of the ways in which this is done in the context of collegiate sports, you have been a, a critic of. And I, I'd like to ask you specifically about that, because on a recent um, episode of Citations Needed, you highlighted the ways in which the the sort of discursive construction of college athletes as kids which we have been heavy critics of on this show how that sort of contributes to their exploitation in part because it normalizes the the construct of uh, an equally or a, a also a damaging uh, construct of the student athlete can you speak to the ways in which college sports media is complicit in the exploitation of what we what we prefer to call um, these folks uh, campus athletic workers yeah, well, I mean, again, some of the discourse has shifted on this recently, right, over the last five, yeah. ten years, because it really had to. Um, and there's been grassroots efforts and a lot of, I, w- I think it's fair to say, um, black civil rights efforts to sort of recognize that this is fundamentally a racial justice issue, um, and that has kind of leaked into acceptable liberal discourse, which wasn't the case five, ten years ago. Um, so it has shifted, but a lot of the underlying frameworks still exist, rhetorical frameworks, which was the argument we made on our show, which is, again, this idea that um, they're kids. When I watch college basketball, I always listen out for it. You hear it all the time, which is um, this idea that, that college athletics, that is a tre- tremendous privilege, and they're fortunate to do it, and it's a, basically a, a, a um, self-help seminar for, for, for two to four years for underprivileged black kids, so they can basically get like some kind of bootstrappy uh, life advice, uh, education, 
about life, and they be, they 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 become men, and you see this every single uh, all the time throughout the games. The code of color commentary again, sort of baked into the cake. Good kid, yeah, really hardworking. You know, when he showed up, he was just a boy. Now he's a man. It's a senior year. Um, you know, his GPA is such and such. I don't know why we care about people's GPA. G- uh, the GPA thing is absolutely ab- about reinforcing this idea that this <laughs> and, is... And the major. Oh, the major, so yeah. So condescending. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's a really good guy. You know, pre-med, like one of the good ones. Um, and of course, this doesn't exist in any other industry. Yeah. We, don't, we, we, don't, we don't say, you know, oh, well, you know, the university owns the right, uh, you know, Harvard University owns the right um, to Facebook. Uh, when Mark Zuckerberg creates it in his dorm, you know, he's a good kid. He's really yeah. learned a lot. The university is going to take this Facebook thing and profit off of it. But, uh, you know, he, I think he got some good life experience. And when he goes out to Silicon Valley, when he graduates, I think he's going to do good things. I mean, that would be absurd. But because, yeah. again, because it's a free labor pool that is such a cash cow for both the universities and, and media, that there's, there's this in, internal ideology that's reverse engineered and has been reverse engineered for decades that kind of makes it make sense. And the way you do that is you treat them like fucking children, even though yeah. they're by and large not children. They're by and large adults yeah. who are generating millions of dollars. I mean, you had tickets. There was a Zion Williams-Duke game a couple years ago where you had, you had tickets going for $2,300 to, for a, a fucking yeah, like... Obama was at that game. Obama yeah. was at that game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 20, you know, again, <laughs> they're not paying the $2,300 to go watch some fucking... 70-year-old booster drink scotch in some suite. They're going there to see Zion Williams fucking jump out of the gym. And so um, this, is, this is the kind of pa- you know, patronizing argument you sort of have to make, because otherwise it, doesn't, it seems the whole thing is odd. I mean, again, if you try to explain college athletics to someone outside of the United States, they, they, they look at you like you're fucking, like, they're like what, why would you, what is that? How do you do that? Um, with, with an understanding that a lot of developmental programs in other countries aren't, have their own problems. But like the idea that you sort of don't pay them and they're treated as biology majors who just happen to play sports um, is, is obviously bullshit. So this whole head padding, um, again, you see this a lot with education discourse in black poverty, right? Sort of opportunity, um, you know, give them the tools to succeed. So which is, all, which is all code for like, I'm not paying them now, but maybe, again, if they, if they intern for me for free for three years and I give them a poverty wage stipend, um, then maybe one day they'll have the tools to do something later. But ultimately, I don't want to pay the bill. Um, in case you don't, in case no one, in case anyone doesn't believe Adam on this, I just want to read a tweet um, from a coach, a Div- Division Two coach. Just tweeted this tweet got a lot of likes as well. Uh, he says reasons to hire an athlete: they are used to working under pressure. They understand that doing work outside of working hours is where they'll find their advantage. They've endured success and defeat. They manage adversity. They sacrifice personal accolades for team success. It's an internship, right? It's just an internship. Yeah. It's an unpaid internship, right? They're just building life skills. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is, um, <clears throat> I, I mean, it, 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 it's all part of this sort of capitalist rise and grind, pay your dues. I mean, you see this in journalism, you see this everywhere. And, you know, you, well, you're welcome to sort of believe it. I think a lot of people are true believers. I think some of those true believers make some of the best petty bourgeois enforcers. The people who sort of mm-hmm. pay their dues are the ones who, who most aggressively and most passionately enforce this pay your dues mentality to other people later on. Because it's, it's, it's sort of cognitive dissidence 101, right? It's if I, if I pledge a fraternity and they make me, you know, eat a raw onion 
I, psychologically, I therefore put meaning on the fraternity. That's why that's why people do hazing yeah. rituals, basically, right? The psychology yeah. is pretty simple. It's why you get. It's why you do hazing rituals in the military too, because if you suffer for something, you necessarily ascribe value to it. Uh, otherwise, your brain can't process why you did the suffering in the first place. And so, just the same, yeah. we 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 have this like, oh, I suffered, I ate shit, I you know, I did my dues, I interned at Reuters and got shit on, uh, and sexually harassed for three years. Therefore, everyone else should do it. And you're seeing this with a lot with a lot of the you know backlash against uh, name and you know name and likeness and and other kinds of semi progressive measures where it says like oh we didn't have that you know we 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 ate shit we did our dues and increasingly you realize for what this is which is just a thin ideological veneer for worker abuse and exploitation and to make sure the profits continue to flow to the same ten people every year and not those who actually create value for capital, which is by definition, the worker. So where do you stand on nil, nil, uh, no rights in the context of college sports and exploitation? Is this the sort of the end of exploitation? No, I mean, look, it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a progress. It's definitely better. It's uh, certainly a compromise because it doesn't really fundamentally change the power dynamic. Um, you know, it, it, it still allows the fundamental vector of exploitation to continue, which is not paying people for labor. Um, yeah. in, a, in an organized way. I mean, again, a, a lot of players have name and likeness in professional sports, but we would never think of not paying them as well, right? Yeah. Um, that's sort of a baseline because the name and likeness really only helps an elite few. Um, and, yeah. I, and again, I use elite in relative terms. They're, they're obviously still workers and they should absolutely exploit it to the extent they can. Absolutely. No, no criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody who's a fucking Olympic athlete or a college athlete who, who goes viral should absolutely be on their Instagram promoting a fucking, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, dorm light or whatever they you know, want to promote. I think that's great, <laughs> but it's not a sustainable system for paying people, especially given the, the precarity of the labor, especially the precarity of labor in football, uh, which has, a, which, yeah. which is always on the razor's edge. And the reason why you provide things like a lifetime health care and pensions and salary is because not everyone can be afforded the 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 the, the privilege of of necessarily exploiting their name and likeness um although i think there will be some pool if i'm not trying to figure out how it works with the ncaa video games i think there's some kind of pool where they have to sort of have everybody um but um I mean, and they should definitely be paying back pay for all the name and likeness they 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 yeah. had with Madden or uh, sorry NCAA. Yeah. Or next, you know, for 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 you know, fifteen years they were. Oh, this is this is Schmintz Young, the the quarterback for the University yeah. of Texas, and you're like, mm, okay, I don't know, man, that really does look a lot like Vince Young, uh, and I'm pretty right. sure because I'm I'm again I'm playing this game not to play Schmintz Young. I'm playing this game because I want to vicariously yeah. be Vince Young, and yet Vince Young makes no money off this. Exactly. And that, that's yeah. indirect, but I mean, think about it. They were selling jerseys with players' numbers on it all these years, yeah. right? I oh, mean, yeah. like, it's exactly yeah. the same logic. No. Everyone knew I whose mean, number they were buying. I mean, like this is the ultimate, like, buy yourself some time. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. you know, they, they complain about it, they Stretching. fought about it, but ultimately the reason why the ESPN class started to support yeah. it is because they needed to do exactly. something. Because, right. again, people, getting, people are getting woke, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean that in a good sense. Like, people are, again, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with some political education again they try to make it facile they try to make it liberal but ultimately like people become more aware of these of these rights and you have an emerging labor movement you have people realizing what a fucking racket it is you have people seeing the intersection yeah. between racism and labor exploitation and like you can't you can't put that 
toothpaste back in the toothpaste bottle. I mean, it's, it's, it's already out. And so they're going to try to do these half-assed measures to buy themselves time. And they say, oh, well, if you do this, it'll lead to the destruction of college football. Um, no, I mean, well, yeah, it'll, it will fundamentally lead to the destruction of college football, but the basic brands are too powerful to go away. It's not as if, like, if tomorrow they got paid, there wouldn't be a Penn State or Notre Dame. The, the brands are so powerful, they would just become commoditized in some other new way that paid people. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. and from the standpoint of, like, an ESPN, I got to tell you, like, it's not like there's anything that's, there's no cognitive dissonance between NIL and what this entire project is. Like, one aspect of it is, let's take a look. When they announce the deals that players are getting, like, let's look at the fine print. There's literally been situations where the players are getting paid $3 per endorsement. Yeah. $9 per endorsement. The fact that someone's getting an endorsement doesn't actually mean that they're making any money in a meaningful sense. But the other thing is, we really have to remember, it's like, why are we suddenly celebrating gig work as if it's like some kind of yeah. utopian horizon of labor politics? Yeah. I mean, like, no. you're teaching these people, these folks, they have to do additional promotional labor. This is work on top of the 40 hours a week they're already working for the university. Yeah, because it, it's, it's, it's not coming out of their pocket. It's almost like restaurants no. allowing tipping. It's sort of someone, exactly. someone else. It's it doesn't exactly change like the power structure and someone else is paying it so what do i care yeah it's still subsidizing these universities that have the funds and the revenue yeah. to be paying the the hourly wage and the benefits and all of the above yeah i think like at the end of the day nothing changes i that. think the reason why there it's was some opposition to it enterprise. i think there was some opposition because there was a sense that it was uh it was going to be a slippery slope but that remains to be seen so because so exactly. so far i mean i don't you know, it, it would take a, I think it would take a political intervention from, say, a Congress to, to stay, because, you know, again, these, these people have monopoly exemptions. They have, yeah. uh, they have exemptions about, um, about uh, basically, they create trust. I mean, they fix labor costs. I mean, this stuff is illegal in every other industry. You can't do it. I mean, pe people yeah. do it, but they get sued and they get fined for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Chris Murphy is trying, the Connecticut senator is trying to lay the, the federal groundwork, the legislative groundwork for unionization um, in, in collegiate athletes. So mm. I, I, would, I hope it's on the way there, but NIL does nothing to, to, to solve any issues. If anything, it just takes a sort of the... the misunderstood veneer of college sports as being this amateur endeavor which we've all known for decades is complete bullshit yeah but people were still clinging to that right people were still clinging to that and now in the nil era i don't think there's any possible way folks can so that's causing their own sort of cognitive dissonance right and, and we become cheerleaders for commodification. That's what's also happening. Like, why, why are we celebrating yeah. the fact that they're hawking that dorm light? You know what I mean? Like, normally, we're against <laughs> hawking dorm lights. Well, like, I mean, I have no... I mean, look, if, if one's going to... Yeah, I, I don't, it doesn't really... As far as the sort of rapacious capitalist forces that, 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 that are, you know, dark cloud over my life, I, I think people hawking, um, you know, no. lip balm on their Instagram is not no. high on my list. But... Uh, I, I think, I think, you know, again, go get that bag. I'm absolutely like, you know, oh, yeah. maximize your utility to the extent you can. Sure. Absolutely. I think it's, it's, but it, you're right. It, broadly speaking, it, it's kind of bleak that we have to have this, this, this panhandling when they should just be that's being paid. Right. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. It's like, it's not a horizon for a radical no, politics, no, 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 no. we're like, we're selling. Dorm no, it's just like a modest sort of 
it's a lateral pass not to mix not to mix metaphors here it's a yeah, lateral yeah, pass yeah. Uh, in terms of progress but it is better than it than is. nothing right absolutely yeah. but but the, you know and it brings me to the next question because i think that this is a connected issue we have this weird situation where because things were so bad in college sports because like they didn't even they didn't even have access to the free market like none of us here are free market apologists but like because these individuals didn't have an access to the free market they were even more exploited yes. than like the most workers are in capitalism so like clearly yes the next yes. step was free the market but that, what that means is that we also end up with these weird alliances where it's like those of us who are like m more radical in terms of what we want to see change i.e. at a bare minimum unionization pay for play um and so forth but then you end up in alliances with very much free market liberal types right who also were against the ncaa for a long time i'm curious what do you make of those jay billis types in the college sports media universe um like are they against exploitation is there a uh, rift they, they, in this? no here's the thing there there is i really do think it came from uh, these these people like jay billis and he, you know even even coach k like came out in favor like you, you, you have to have credibility with your players. Um, you, have, you have to have credibility with the largely black um, athletes that come up through the ranks for whom you're trying to recruit. And I do think that the political current of that group changed, where they said, I'm not going to sit around and be exploited for nothing anymore. This, this system is obviously a racket, and they, to main, they have to maintain credibility with, 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 um, you know, with that... Uh, the people they're trying to convince to come play for them and the people they have relationships with. I mean, I don't want to be totally cynical about it. I think sometimes they're, you know, they become friends and they, and they have relationships and coach K doesn't really care either way necessarily. You, you know, you sort of, uh, you know, your, your Jay Bayless doesn't really care necessarily is because again, it doesn't affect CBS really. Right. It doesn't affect ESPN. Um, no. and so the, the, whereas them having a union would, Oh, yes. And the last thing a coach yeah. would ever want is them having a union. Now, I think they probably say one thing publicly and then privately think something else, which people say all the time sort of as a kind of hearsay. They'll say, oh, coaches won't criticize the, you know, the, the, the um, transfer portal, but, you know, because it looks bad, but they all hate it. I'm like, of course they hate it. Of course they want players forced to play for them and have yeah. some really talented quarterback or, or wide receiver have to fucking play third string so they can keep them from going somewhere else. And I mean, of course they want that. Um, but, and you see people, I mean, the, the transfer rules, I mean that you want to talk about things that solicit rage from fucking old white AM radio sports caller guys. Like, <laughs> I mean, they fucking yeah. hate that because it's freedom of movement. It's freedom of labor. And they do not want that. Yeah. That is, that is a no, you know, back in my day, we had to take a year off and think about what we did and go to timeout. And, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, uh, it fucking sucked and it's exploitative. And a lot of people didn't have flourishing careers because they fucking, you know, were benched. Yeah. So is it is it possible to be of that ilk and and be a college sports sort of beat reporter who isn't complicit in I mean, this like broad they, exploitation? It's institutional. I mean, they make so much money off this yep. system. Why would I ever yep. hire? So well, if I'm hiring a fucking reporter again, there are people who criticize it. There are stuff at the Athletic that's very critical. There's stuff um, yep. in other outlets. I know the Ringer's done some stuff about Major League Baseball being exploitative. I'm, I'm not saying it's uniform, but sort of broadly speaking, especially with television, I think, I think print media is different. But with television, like, why am I going to go around and, I mean, if, if I'm a, a producer at CBS and I can have a pundit go on stage, am I going to pick the guy that's saying, you know, death to the capitalist class, unionize the workers? I mean, this is true of all media, right? Yeah. Or am I going to pick yeah. the guy that's some dope who goes, yeah, you know, back in my day, you know, we played hard and here's Tim Tebow to tell us why 
you know, when he was at, you know, when he was at Florida, he never thought about selling his jersey, and he just loves Jesus. And <laughs> yeah. here's J.J. Watt to say why he, you know, he just he just wants to keep his head down and play the game right and not do any of that razzle-dazzle stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, of course you're going to hire that fucking dope. I mean, ESPN has five of these white yeah. guys, and they all have beards, and, and they're all like barstooly, and they're all wrecking anti-worker, and they just kind of give the, the sort of pat anti-worker, you, which again keeps the gravy train going for ESPN. Because trust yeah. me when I tell you, yeah. if there's ever a player's fucking college union, there's going to be a lot of money lost for CBS and Disney. Yeah. A lot of money lost. And they, um, they know that. They know that very well, which is why they kind of get behind some of these these kind of half these super super very 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 half measures because they have to give people something. And also, what it does is yeah, by yeah. by creating a a name and likeness, it creates it, it creates divisions between the top athletes who would otherwise have solidarity with those who can't exploit name and likeness, and kind of basically gets the the, the high profile athletes um, depoliticize them and gets them off their back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we saw that. We saw that in the return to play with the the sort of competing "we want to play" hashtags and Big Ten United. We saw that exact same thing happen and play out in real time. Yeah, and it's not a coincidence that the managing editor of basketball at the Athletic, because you mentioned the Athletic has you know some moments. That's Seth Davis, and Seth Davis is right up at the top. Seth Davis is the worst for this system. Seth Davis fucking sucks. I hate Seth Davis. (laughs) Seth Davis does this does this monkey bullshit all the time. Well, you know, I just you know I get it, and but really, you know, it's going to undermine the whole prestige of college basketball. It's like, yeah, man, fucking college basketball is based on fucking racial exploitation, racialized exploitation. You fucking idiot. Like that's not good. Yeah. And they just there's this romance, there's this emotional attachment that people have with college sports. That is predicated on this 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 myth of an, you know amateurism, that if the sanctity yeah. of that's compromised, and you know we allow the 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 poors and the and the blacks to have money or to have agency or to have autonomy or to have com- kind of financial that that's just not then that's not what they recognize anymore. And again, there's this romantic attachment. You know, my when I was ten years old, my dad took me. We had a hot dog, and and you know his daddy went to Penn State, and his daddy's daddy went to Alabama, and like yeah. and and people get very fucking personal with it. They get very emotional. You know, it's like when they try to get rid of the fucking goofy ass racist Cleveland Indians logo. You talk to some of these people and it's like, it's like you fucking, you, you, it's like you went, you know, you, you, you called their God false or tried to, you know, draw Muhammad or, 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 or do piss Christ. Like it's this sort of, how dare you? It's like, it's a fucking racist logo. Get over it. You know, (laughs) but people get very, it's sports, sports are extremely emotional. They're very, they're very, um, you know, it's it's nostalgia, and this, there's nothing more powerful yeah. than nostalgia. And all all the, all so this shit is predicated on nostalgia, especially college sports. I mean, college sports yeah. is just nothing yeah. but nostalgia. Yeah. So, would you place like? So we know that you have raged against the con, uh, that sort of term of student athlete. Would you place that the reason that scam has been so successful in in terms of just trying? to protect the system that provides you that sort of emotional, that nostalgic feeling? Or do you think there's something more to why that term and and amateurism in general has been just so systematically successful in in keeping these folks unpaid? A lot of it's just inertia. It sort of was around in the 20s and and people don't really question. I mean, again, for the years, we had this idea that you were going to have an internship and you weren't going to get paid. Mm -hmm. And it was was going to disproportionately benefit the wealthy and the disproportionately white. And you were going to go work at fucking 
you know, Vogue or, or Newsweek and you had an internship and you didn't get paid and you got treated like shit and you had to get coffee and you got sexually harassed. And that's kind of, that's just the way it was. And then, you know, yeah. years ago, people say, wait, wait a second, hold on. This, this, this word internship is just a thing we invented. It's just a construct. Yeah. It's not, it's not a law yeah. of nature handed down by God. It was created for the purposes of exploitation. Just as student athlete was, 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 was invented by marketing people for the explicit purpose of not having to pay when people got brutally injured, sometimes uh, permanently injured in, in, in college football, specifically college football, which was yeah. a very dangerous game, especially back in the 10s and 20s. And so some fucking lawyer and some marketing guy were like, oh, how about we just call them student athletes? That way we don't have to pay for their health insurance or pay for their health care. Um, and it, and it worked. And it became a, a, a social construct that benefited the powerful. So therefore, just as, again, just as, you know, 1910, when the Supreme Court ruled that baseball was exempt from, uh, uh, from antitrust law. And what was the reasoning the court gave? They said it's a national pastime. Therefore, what the fuck is a national pastime? It's just this word we <laughs> right. invented because we needed to fulfill. It's a, it's a tautology to fill a social need that, fills, right. that, that helps the elite. And the, college, the, the student athlete structure was, was basically originally so not even so much so as universities could exploit the, the profit because it didn't even make that much money. It was so they didn't have to pay for people who got injured. It was about avoiding liability. It was about indemnification. And then as it progressed and it became more and more profitable, this, this construct of the student athlete began to be, had a financial, a, hu, a tremendous financial institutional incentive to prop it up, which is why every single NCAA commercial you see, what do they oh, yeah. always yeah. show? It's, I played, I did track and field. Now I'm a doctor. I played basketball. Yeah. Now I'm, you know, now I'm a, a now, now I'm a life coach. I, it's, 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 it's student athletes, not as an inside of itself or a business in and of itself, but no, 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 no. It's a self-help seminar. It's a four year long self-help seminar. And if you do this, you can go on to do this other thing. And there was about, they go on to do this. They go on to that. They go on to become a scientist. They got the lab coat and they do this. And it's like, when you, when you, that's why they have those commercial breaks every five seconds, because it reinforces the ideological premise that these people are not workers. They are students who are simply learning. Because as long as you reinforce that premise, the fucking gravy train keeps going. Your gravy train keeps going. Yeah. But here's the thing that's bizarre to me, Adam. Like, because the logic, from the standpoint of like the the college sports system, the logic is unimpeachable, right? Like, it's 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 been a it's been a brilliant con, yes. essentially. But like, the ideological interpolation that occurs for the people who are participate in the system and are exploited by it, right? The way that it's taken up, like athletes self-identifying in those terms, fans eating it up, like people that don't need to have an investment is what I'm trying to say. They don't need to have an investment in the term in the same way. It's like they can't resist using the language student athlete. And it's like, it just <laughs> kind of puts my teeth on edge. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just what it is. It's always how it's been. I mean, again, for majority of my life, it's not something I really thought a lot about. And then, I, yeah. and then you read and you're like, wait a second, that is kind of just a thing we made up. Um, which yeah, is, I yeah. guess, how a lot of leftist politics happen. You sort of, have these isms and these words and these and these labels you don't really think much about and then you sort of think well wait a second some some guy just came up with this in the 20s this is not a law of nature and and then you go outside of the country obviously and you realize it's not a thing anywhere else right. um mm -hmm. which is also you know not only is there a there a <laughs> there's sort of an a b test in, in you know 294 other countries uh where these I concepts don't exist but of course most of, like like most americans i you know i didn't leave the country until i was 30 years old i didn't know what you know i don't know what's 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 outside my boy there's no college no it doesn't have nothing that exists yeah i know but we're told that that's but we're told if you if you try to if you try to politicize and challenge language that's virtue signaling oh everything's virtue um, signaling, that's just yeah. that's just just being woke yeah. um because tim, language has no impact tim tebow, on tim tebow going you know constantly around on and on and on about how he you know he loves 
you know, Jesus and, and putting his head down and playing the game right is, <laughs> is not virtue signaling, but saying, hey, I don't know, maybe this is a little exploitative. You're just being a woke scold. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better, yeah. So in the, in the context of collegiate sport during this pandemic, we have seen numerous horrible takes. I, th- I think like just horrible takes on the role of sport, the role of, of college sports in kind of returning to normal, normalcy, all this sort of discourse that we've been talking about, um, that we've talked about indirectly and directly in this, in this episode. I want to ask you, have you seen a particularly bad or egregious take in sports media in the context of um, the pandemic? Well, I mean, I was, I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, bad takes. Um, I think this is maybe not a leftist criticism. This is more of a kind of a liberal criticism. But um, Mm. I think a lot of the, I mean, I don't know. I mean, from, you know, I think Cole Beasley saying he wanted his, he wanted his wife to get paid to take the vaccine was pretty bad. But that's, that's kind of low hanging Mm. fruit. Uh, <laughs> but no, I yeah. mean, I, I think the, I, to me, the, it's not one take in particular. It's the sort of cultish, um, you know, they run these commercials, sports are back. We're all back. Everything's back. Um, posture that, that ESPN and, and, and NBC and CBS all took for obvious reasons. Cause that's a huge part of their, yeah. you know, they, they were, they're losing money every day. There's not sports. Um, yeah. the cultish way they were like, yeah, we're back and it's this and everything's normal. Like you see, it's a, it's a microcosm of, of broader kind of pressure from, from capital and industry, whether it's in, you know, national U.S. Chamber of Commerce, U.S. You know, retail, you know, the National Retail Association, National Restaurant Association, the sort of business lobby is, they look at their numbers and it doesn't take, you know, the PPP doesn't really do enough and, and they're losing mm. money, they're losing investments, they're, they're fucking, they can't have that go on forever. They have a business to look after. So it's, the, the memo sent out and it's rah rah back to normal, and this has this has never been a, reflected in any of the actual COVID numbers or COVID data. I mean, it's just it's just yeah. it's just wishful thinking because they have every incentive to do that. And and you watch these these people on TV who said again are ostensibly supposed to be like independent people, and they're just the the the, the clearly a very stern memo came out from Disney and from and from Viacom, CBS or, or rather CBS now. Um, that this was that you weren't going to really allow any kind of space. And I, I watch a lot of sports media and you, there is absolutely zero space to really kind of meaningfully push back on this idea that we need to pack stadiums and this, everything goes back to normal. Yeah. And that what happened in 2020 was temporary and that we were done with it and that we've now moved on. Um, and that's reflective of the restaurant industry. It's reflective of retail. It's reflective of, of you know, the music industry. It's reflective of everything. Um, it doesn't matter that how many people die a day of COVID or, or the Delta variant. That, that's yeah. never really, and they were, again, they were doing it back in before vaccines. They were doing the summer of 2020. It was, they had, com- you had commercials like Budweiser commercials saying like, we're back and it's back. And it's like, what, what fucking yeah. universe am I living in? You know, 95% of the world's yeah. not vaccinated. We, we have, and this is a global, by definition, a pandemic is global. And we have, we, we just, it, you know, it's, there's two there's just two universes, to- totally different universes. There's people who are, yeah. you know, p- let's be honest, predominantly leftists and liberals who, who can look at fucking, uh, you know, J-curves on, on epidemiological graphs and say, well, shit, we're not out of this. 
And then there's what you see on TV and frankly, most of the right and and the the center, which is like, well, we're just going to kind of ignore it and go back to normal. Yeah. And that's that, that agenda has been pushed to a large extent by sports media because they're, again, it's not seen as being political, but it's, it's super political. I mean, you, you can't divorce that conversation from political decisions. Yeah. And there's a way in which like that's on a continuum, I would say, with the way in which um, sport media constantly disguises the fact that the sports industry, the political economy of sports is predicated on a form of human sacrifice. Like COVID is one example of the health costs potentially associated with sport. Uh, certainly was last year when we were putting athletes in the position of essential workers. We were trying to, you know, the questions around fans being in the stadiums, right? There's all that, obviously. I and mean, it's a fundamentally a health-related question. But like sport involves injury. Sport involves physical harm. Yeah. Football involves brain injury, right? These things are baked no, in. It's to- exactly and and it's, done in, it's done in a totally psychotic way. I mean, you know, I, you watch, I was watching, um, um, even college football, again, not paid labor. Yep. And, yep. and even, you know, even Nick Saban does this and with, I forget who the player was, Alabama guy had a major injury last year. And it's just like, the, yeah. the guy's down on the field, his family's probably at home sobbing. And you, the, the announcer, what's the first thing they do every single time? They say, you know, oh, they're really light on, at, at free safety. This is going to really affect their ability to, you know, exactly. I mean, and, and there's no other industry where you would be that fucking psychotic and glib about human suffering. You wouldn't see a fucking waiter slip and fall and say, man, this is going to affect my ability to get my cheeseburger five minutes earlier. You know, you, you wouldn't have, a, 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 you know, a, if, if your mechanic was diagnosed with cancer, you wouldn't say, oh, it's going to affect my Toyota's ability. I mean, it's only in college sports that people's utility to the team is, is first and foremost placed. I mean, you have players who, I mean, God, I, I forget who it was last year, but I think it was an Alabama player who like basically had a life, a career ending, not life ending, excuse me, a career ending injury. And they just fucking talked about, they spent 10 minutes on ESPN talking about how it's going to affect Alabama's national title chances. And I'm like, I don't want to be too precious here. I, you know, everybody knows the score to some extent, but like, my God, the guys, you know, from poverty in, the, in bumfuck Georgia, like there is absolutely, that, that's hugely devastating to him and his family. And there's absolutely exactly. no discussion of that. They're purely looked at utilitarian, you know, you, you, cogs in a fucking machine to again, venerate the the holiest holy university so a bunch of boosters can say oh yeah my 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 buddy's from auburn and i beat his team this year and i'm i'm i mean that's really what it's yeah. about right that's sort of the the way we look at it and and the dehumanization is just baked into the cake and and look do i expect every time a player goes down with a sprained ankle for the for the for them to do a moment of silence and 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 do a live you know feed from the guy's house to talk to his wife like no like you don't wanna, you don't you don't want to be gross about it either but like this is a person this is a human being yeah. who has like a tremendous physical and financial investment in this institution who has probably just seen some of that, especially in, again, in college football where you're not paid and in professional football where you have no guaranteed money really, except for like five people. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a huge blow to those people's livelihoods. And it's just, yeah, he's down credit card commercial. This sucks for their secondary. Let's move on. Exactly. Yeah. And the whole defense of this is we always hear they signed up for it, right? But like, even if yeah. you were to accept that very problematic premise in my right. mind, um, what they signed up for is making money through football, right? Like they've signed up for the cost benefit analysis that they're gonna provide for themselves it's and their families under those conditions. Right, it's a person, but here's the thing, if what happens in college, what we also see happening is that like, they're not gonna be able to provide, right? Because yeah. if it's like, a, as you say, if it's a career ending injury, the university has benefited from their labor and then is stealing from them the opportunity to actually make money off of that labor um, by subject, and, and they're still gonna prioritize 
the teams, like the instrumental value to the team, right? And how it's going to affect. And, and again, there's no other goals. context where people where, where people kind of have that relationship with physical injury. Exactly, um, and that because because no, that dehumanization is central. Because again, if they had to stop every single time someone was brutally injured on Monday Night Football or on 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 uh, you know college game day, and meditate on the humanity of the person who got injured. Um, yeah. Now, the only context in which they do meditate on the humanity of people who are injured is if they do an Alex Smith and do like a comeback thing. Then they love that. They can't get enough of that oh, shit. Yeah, lo- oh, yeah. Then it's yeah, just, yeah, it's just, it's just you know, bootstrap, rah-rah, fucking perseverance porn nonstop with the, you know, the, the, the schmaltzy Vaseline lens of them, you know, uh, walking by a lake and then the shot of the, uh, you know, they, they love that shit. They love the, the, the bootstrap narrative. But if you're, in, right. if you're injured in obscurity and you have to go away or you had, you know, paralyzed from the waist down because of a kickoff return and, you know, you're, then you're never mentioned again. You're, you're totally unimportant yeah. because you don't, you, don't, you don't fit a kind of bourgeois morality about pulling yourselves up, pulling yourself up and coming back and such. Exactly. Meanwhile, the Occupational Health and Safety Act of North Carolina, okay, under the rights and duties of employers, says each employer shall furnish to each of their employees conditions of employment and a place of employment free from recognized hazards that are causing or are likely to cause, and here's the key, death, of course, or serious injury or serious physical harm to their employees, right? So it's like we have this context, this, this context of labor that flagrantly violates like the basic standards of health and safety. In the workplace, the entire, the entire premise of the activity requires that the employees will be subjected to serious injury or serious physical harm. Because whether we see it happening or not, the brain injury is occurring in football, right? It's happening to every single player on that field. Yeah. They're going to bear the cost. But like in this context, we're fine with it. Well, right. So see, people say, okay, you, 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 you sort of accept some kind of risk. But again, there are, that, that, is not a, that is a very pat and glib explanation because... A, for much of the football's history, there wasn't actually no sense of what the risk was. People had no idea yes. what the risk was, even though they were yeah. smashing their brains, yeah. and even though the NFL knew, they covered it up. Um, and the other issue is that, like, uh, they're accepting amount of risk with, with, very, with very little real control over the means of how it's produced. And, yes. and it is basically predicated on a lottery system. You know, cho- yeah. choice, choice is a product of privilege. Options, <laughs> options are, are, are limited for people. You know, if you have no options, your choices don't matter. And for a lot of these athletes, again, especially those in, 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 in rural Appalachia or, or inner cities or, or, or various places in the South, like there's not a ton of real options for economic improvement. So we've, we've created these, these, these Dickensian conditions and then said, oh, well, it's a choice. But isn't that incredibly fucking glib and convenient for those who want to watch people smash their brains yeah. in every day? Without having, without having yeah. to adequately pay them or give them really what they want, which is security. Um, the NFL, especially, uh, even setting aside college, is, in, is incredibly notoriously bad at providing any kind of security to anyone, yeah. uh, except for yeah. their top, top elite. But even they really don't have guaranteed money past two or three years. And, and, if, and you're, if you're one of these bubble players, if you're on the edge, um, you, know, you smash your fucking brain in to try to get on that roster to make the league minimum. and then. You know, again, one one injury, you're out. One once one misplay, you're out. Practice squad is most yeah. most egregious yeah. to me. Like you're there, you're expected to to basically be like a a, a sort of safety dummy for yeah. for. And the make no mistake, team. the NFL fucking prints money. The NFL yeah prints money. <laughs> they 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 you yeah. cannot not make money in the NFL. It's the most popular sport, and you're not even fucking close. Yeah. 
they 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 more than have the money to guarantee money for their players and for bubble players and to make sure people aren't living on the razor's edge of having to go back to you know Tuscaloosa and sell fucking you know sell 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 you know RVs to people or whatever it is they have to do in the off season. They they have the ability to do that, but they don't want to do that. Yeah. No, I I have a question that's kind of a joke, but um perhaps it's also not a joke. And that's just generally speaking, what role does sports radio punditry and this sort of call-in <laughs> culture um that we sort of seen emerge over the past several decades what role does that play in the ascent of fascism in the <laughs> united states there seems to be a correlation there you know i mean look this is this is kind of a harebrained theory but look i mean if you driving around makes people right wing it's it's <laughs> it makes you angry yeah. and hostile <laughs> and paranoid and everyone in their little steel cage is getting mad at the world. And then you pump in AM radio. You know, AM radio is almost uniformly right-wing. That's always been the case. Been the case for a long time now. Mm. Um, and sports radio, I think similarly, based on maybe it's demographics, maybe it's on who owns it, it's probably all the above. Um, you know, it leans right-wing by its very nature. Um, and people who call into shows can be, I think, typically lean that way. I, for whatever kind of cultural reason we can discuss, um, I think people maybe just the feedback loop or they spend more time in their cars. But, um, you know, whether or not, whether or not AIM radio per se has fueled fascism, I, I don't, I don't know if that's probably true, but I, I do think, I do think that um, the kind of AM sports culture uh, does, does ideologically reinforce no, notions of, of racial disciplining and, and entitlement and pro owner narratives about uppity black athletes again total generalization but having listened to a shitload of am sports radio i there's pretty much a uniform uh take on those kinds of things the idea the sort of viewing players in, in this in these kind of purely utilitarian entitlement terms um absolutely zero discussion about labor absolutely zero discussion about labor rights absolutely zero discussion about i mean look at look at the narrative around kevin durant when he left oklahoma yeah. I mean, it was a fucking meltdown for months about betraying the people of Oklahoma, about how he's just title chasing, just going for the money. Again, they're the fucking owner of 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 of, of the Oklahoma City Thunder. The this moved from Seattle for the most greedy, cynical reasons. Completely tore the heart out of that mm-hmm. city. That city loved that basketball yeah. team and just mercilessly ripped yeah. the heart out of the, that city. Got about ten minutes of bad coverage. Everybody moves on. Meanwhile, Kevin Durant just wants to maximize his utility, again, as these rapacious owners do all the time. And he's seen as he's vilified and demonized for fucking years. Uh, same with mm-hmm. LeBron James and the decision. Like, was it inartfully done? Sure. But like that, the, the anger over the decision of him to leave from Cleveland to Miami was absolutely about, was about racial disciplining. It was about him starting a, a dream team and, and, and shifting the power back to the players and to, you know, to some extent and having decision over who's the coach. And, and that was so much of what animated that because the fundamental racial arrangement is not allowed, this can't really permit that. And so when, when so it's both anti-labor and anti-black and there's, again, they're so inextricably linked, it's hard to divorce the two. Um, but, but, you know, AM radio feels all that shit. You know, it feels that kind of that, yeah. that racial disciplining and all that kind of entitlement. Obviously, you have all the code words, blue collar, blah, 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 that people, some people have tried to do less of. But that's, I mean, that's always been baked into the cake of sports. Um, because sports radio is not really about, you know, for the most part, it's not about um, uh, any kind of meaningful understanding of the, of the power relations. It, it's about 
putting the the viewer in the from the taking the empathetic view of the owner and putting the the, the listener into that in that perspective about what's because all you want is your team to win. You start from the premise that the goal yeah. is the team to win. Doesn't matter what else happens, which from that necessarily lends itself to being sympathetic to the owning class. Yep, absolutely, and that's fantasy sports just reinforces sure. that kind of work, right? Yeah. It's like teaching us yeah. how to be owners. We yeah. can be mini owners, um, and that, that you know whether intentional or not, you know, I think it's probably not largely intentional. That carries with it certain ideological baggage. You just can't avoid it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. It's um, a great way to put it. Yeah, and, and and sort of building on that then, because one thing that's been an undercurrent here in this conversation that's been coming up is like, you know, there is this meaning, right, that comes with sport. Like people get meaning from sports um, and there's genuine value in that. Um, and we shouldn't dismiss that. I think most importantly, we shouldn't dismiss that. Like too often does sport, sport is dismissed as frivolous when it is actually the most popular form of culture we have in this society. So it's something we should, in my estimation, always be taking seriously. Um, but I'm curious kind of, given that you have frequently opined about the way in which politics is presented as sport, right? With no attention to the moral consequences of the horse race in the frame, in the way that politics are framed as sport. And then at the same time, and you were talking about this earlier, we know that sport is conventionally framed as a politics free space, um, you know, incorrectly, but you know, nonetheless, that is the framing, the shut up and dribble mentality. Clearly what we see in both cases is media spectacle running cover for a system of racial caps for racial capitalism the cost be damned. Given your own obvious discomforts with the spectacular nature of sport, how do you reconcile your own enjoyment? Yeah, that's a great question. First off, I need, I need you to stop calling it sport. You're throwing me off here. This isn't Britain. Um, <laughs> Sorry, we put, it, we, we put an S at the end here, Mr. Grad School. <laughs> um, Mr. Fancy Pants. We're, we're Canadians. Li- okay? Liberal we're, we're going to use the fact that we're oh, Canadians. Oh, y'all are Canadians. We're, closer to, we're both Canadians. Oh, Derek and I are both Canadians. Wow, I didn't know so you were Canadians. I would not have agreed to come on had I known we that. We have one foot in each country. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, here in America, uh, no, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a question. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, look, I'm full of, con- uh, you know, sort of contradictions. I, I enjoy a lot of things that are problematic. I, I think one of the, pro- one of the problems I, I view with kind of leftist discourse with respect to pop culture over the last few years is that we have this weird, weird dichotomy between dichotomy where it's either like you, you think that politics, you think that sports and film and TV has no politics, and anyone who wants to discuss it is a woke scold and needs to chill, and it's just a joke, and it's no big deal, and it's all just kind of the incidental libertarian free market, and there's no ideological, cultural production or reproduction. Or the other hand, you have to hate everything, and if you don't fucking just like drive a bicycle to the fucking poetry reading. And don't engage pop culture, you know, not that those things aren't fine, but like, or if you have to watch a sort of precisely sort of asymptotically woke, like culture only, like that to me doesn't really reflect the human condition, which is fundamentally based on having two ideas in your head at once, which is you can enjoy something and like it and know that it's also ideologically problematic. Now there are limits to that, obviously. I think, you know, if there's a call for a boycott of the NCAA because of labor conditions, that, that would be something I would absolutely get behind. Like, that would be fine. But absent that, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what, like, acting like I don't, you don't like watching sports benefits anyone. Um, you know, I, I think you can say, oh, you're giving a mad revenue. Well, okay, but they're going to, I mean, but is there a call for a boycott? And I think if there's a call for a boycott of, of uh, you know, the NFL or college athletes from organizations, that have a political bent. I think that's that's great, and we should respect that. But I, um, 
um, you know, and maybe maybe I'm kind of reverse engineer reverse engineering a moral framework because uh, I sort of like I love football. I mean, it's a very pro it's the very problematic fave, right? Like baseball has its problems, but is not you know murdering, killing people necessarily. <laughs> Whereas yeah. football, football, yeah. I struggle with because football is definitely probably not good. But because uh, you know this, this is a conversation that comes up when it's like, would you let your kid play football? Sure. Um, and everybody to the person I know says no. And my, my wife says no, and I say no, but then I go, well, if he's, you know, if he's 6'4", 240 and can throw high and tight spiral, I mean, you know, maybe. <laughs> uh, if it's going to, you know, high school's rough. If you can be the quarterback of the football team, it's a lot easier. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, look, I was born with it. it was, it's in my DNA. I've been watching football since I was born. I mean, I grew up watching the Oilers games. Like, it's, it's hard to, to just get rid of that part of me. Um, Mm-hmm. And and maybe it'll go the way of you know bullfighting in Spain, where you, it becomes illegal and people kind of move on, even though it was such an ingrained part of their culture. Yeah. You know, within a generation, people say, "Well, yeah, we realized it was really cruel, and we kind of stopped doing it." Um, but I don't know if it's quite to that level. But uh, no, I mean, I struggle with it. I you know, I I don't know. I don't I don't have a good answer other than to say that I think creating a more worker controlled and humane sport uh, sport is. Um, is the solution. And I don't think, you know, I think there's a way of doing that that isn't throwing the baby out with the bathwater necessarily, because I do think that these things are so inextricably tied to culture and our sense of culture and our sense of, of meaning and what, and our ritual, especially our kind of fall ritual, especially, you know, like baseball, baseball is just on, right? Um, Baseball, what makes baseball great to me is that it's always on. It's just on. You know, for six, five months of the year, it's just on. Six months of the year, it's just on, right? And like, you know, you suffer. I was in San Antonio in 2018, and like, I won't go into details, but like, my family had a, had a tragedy, and it's like, we're all kind of sitting around sad. I'm like, well, let's go to the San Antonio Missions game. Let's go to a, a, a you know, a double A, at that time, double A baseball game. And we got in a car and we went and we saw a baseball game, and it was a really good memory. And it was something you sort of did. And the reason I knew we could go to a game is because, Baseball's always on. It's always there. It's always there for you. It'll, it'll comfort you and coddle you. And, and football marks the time. It marks the new season. It marks, you know, the beginning of school. It marks um, fall. It, it, you know, it mar- it, 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 and these things have a sort of cultural significance that I don't think you can, and this is true of all cultures. You know, it's true in soccer in Europe. It's yeah. true in, you know, in, with, with rugby. And, and, and it's true with cricket in India. Like, these things are part of our culture and i think the question is not do we sort of get rid of the sport ball because it's so lame or whatever the question is can we make it more worker controlled can we make it more humane can we have people who actually produce the labor share and the fruits of that labor uh in a far more equitable way can we have it be um you know a vehicle for understanding the the nature of labor relations and i and i think you can and again that's somewhat self-serving because it's something I, i i like and grew up with but i i think this idea that like dismissing it as such is not very human. Again, we, there's tons of concussions in fucking soccer, right? Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Get rid of soccer? I'm going to go to Brazil and go to Argentina and Italy and say no more yeah. soccer. There's too many concussions. People would look at you like you're fucking, you know, you've lost you, your batshit. I mean, that's, it's, it's not just in the United States. It's a, it, everywhere. You know, it's, it's almost universal. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think that if something's that universal, it's ingrained in our culture, you have to engage it. You can't act like it's not there. Now, people just don't like sports. That's fine. You know, you, you, there's a lot of things I don't like. Um, but insofar that it exists, I don't think like ignoring it helps anybody. 
Yeah, honestly, that question is, we ask almost all of our guests a, a variation of that question, and it's a really challenging question to answer. We, and we really appreciate your sort of pointing out the sort of messiness of that relationship between, that we all, maybe not we all, but many of us share with sports. We're on this show, we're sports fans, but we're also heavy critique uh critics sorry of of sports and it's it is often hard to negotiate those sort of two hats um so so i appreciate your your approach to uh articulating how we should have a more there a more humane approach to sports to labor to people engaging and the athletes um who are participating uh in these uh conditions i think that that is that can and needs to sort of change in a variety of contexts. And I, I really appreciate that sort of take on that. Um, I just want to close uh, by saying thank you, Adam, so much for coming on the, the podcast. Adam Johnson is the co-host of the Citations Needed podcast. It's a podcast about intersections of media, PR, and power. And your co-host is Nima Shirazi. Um, so I just wanted to... to to send a message out to all our listeners to go check out that podcast. Citations Needed is an absolutely brilliant podcast. So Adam, thank you so much for coming on The End of Sport. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I always like to discuss The End of Sports. So uh, <laughs> this, is, this has been wonderful. It's called a callback. <laughs>